Welcome to another episode of Wearing the Folk. Today I'm joined by Tolly and Vic motherfucking Ferrari came back to us. And Vic is a exciting new news. He has dropped a brand new book and it is called Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. I suggest everybody going and buying this. So Vic, if everybody's not familiar with who you are, where in the folk are you at? Um, you guys, I, I've met you guys probably about a year and a half ago. I, you were nice enough to put me on your show a couple of times. My name is Vic Ferrari. I'm a retired New York City police detective. I did a 20-year career with the New York City Police Department. I got into writing. I started writing down stories about my police career. Got six books out, four of them about the New York City Police Department. You're right. My last book, Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate, is about growing up in, in New York City in the Bronx and what going to Catholic high school, which I wanted no part of, which is in the end turned out to be the best thing in the world for me and kind of set my trajectory on the way of, you know, getting into law enforcement. Because in my neighborhood, you either became a cop, a fireman, or you joined the mafia. And uh, I'm half Irish, so I don't know how far I would have ascended in the mafia. So I decided I'd rather be with the good guys. You might got to do some cool shit though. I mean, <laughs> I saw, I saw. It's in my book. I saw a lot of wild shit with the mafia in my neighborhood. Man, um, you've told us some great stories, and like I said, if you haven't ch- chance to go buy his books, go buy them. Where can they get them? Sure, all my all my books are available on Amazon. Uh, they're all paperback. Uh, they're, they're between two hundred and two hundred and forty five pages. Each book is ten dollars, and uh, ebook download is two ninety nine. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at VicFerrari50. In this new book, you took a different direction. I know dickheads and debauchery wasn't really about the time that you served, but you went back to get, breaking away from your time during uh, as a police officer. What's it? What's it mainly consist of? Like just your time in high school. Yeah, well, it, it, it starts before that. It just paints a picture of what it was like to grow up in the Bronx in the late 70s and 80s. Like, I'm a little older than you guys. I'm 56 years old. People remember the Bronx. The Yankees won the World Series in 1978 or 77. And the Goodyear Blimp was above Yankee Stadium. And the Bronx was burning. You had all these abandoned buildings in the South Bronx that a lot of the landlords were setting it on fire to collect the insurance. So... <laughs> You know, in the book I open up, it's like if you didn't know any better, you'd swear the whole Bronx was on fire. But my neighborhood was like this little enclave off the water. It was kind of thought of at the time as the country. And uh, but I mean, it was all concrete and, you know, highways and stuff. And it just goes into at that time, like there were no computer games and, and, and shit like we would go out and build forts and play hide and go seek and then we would get inventive like we were like like we weren't poor we were lower middle class but like on garbage night we used to love like you get a pack of boys like greasy dog we would go out on garbage night and start rummaging around through people's garbage right looking for shit to keep ourselves busy like in the in the late 70s people started you know uh, eight track tapes were coming around and cassette tapes so people were getting rid of all their vinyl albums which are probably worth a lot of fucking money now, right? <laughs> but back then we'd find them in the garbage and we used to call it the Frisbee of death. So we would take these fucking like the 78s, the small ones, and you could whip them. And I mean, 
we would throw them at each other and they would break off of cars and shit. And Frisbee, <laughs> they went, the, the company that made Frisbee was called Whammo. But when we were throwing the records around, we would yell, Whammo! If you caught something <laughs> on the side of the head and the fucking record exploded off the side of the head. We would go through dumpsters and find um, fluorescent lights from stores that had gotten thrown out. They were burned out bulk. Those we are fun. fucking use those things as exploding lightsabers. Like, come here, motherfucker. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, well, son of Jorel, bow before me and hit somebody with one of those fucking things. And then you find out you could get cancer from them. But we were fucking, we were just into everything. We would get snapped together, vacuum cleaner pipe and use it as stickball bats. It, you know, it was more using your head. And during that time period, we would go, oh, there's a story in the book where it was the holidays and uh, there was this girl that lived a couple of blocks away from us and she was in my brother's middle school class. For whatever reason, her and my brother did not get along. So we're walking and her family had in the front yard this large like nativity scene with Christmas lights and shit. And my brother goes, motherfucker. And I go, what? He goes, I can't stand her. The next thing you know, we, we charge into this life-size nativity scene. <laughs> And the three of us steal the three wise men, right? And they were like life-size. And, you know, it's like I write in the book, the three, three idiots got the three wise men. We steal these things, right? And like, now what? Like, what are we going to do with these fucking things? So my brother's friend, Pinhead, and him took the three wise men into the basement. That's where I kind of broke off. I didn't want anything to do with it. They saw this. They got a hold of my dad's um, hacksaw blade. And they sawed the heads off of the three wise men. And like a mob hit. Like two nights later, they threw the heads back into the lawn. So it, it's just some ridiculous stories of, of growing up in the Bronx and the shit that, you know, nowadays kids wouldn't have the balls to do something like that. Well, hell, if there were video cameras and cell phone and fucking ring, I'd be in jail. <laughs> the shit that I did as a kid, right? But back then it was just, you know, you know, harmless fun. You're absolutely right, man. You can't take a piss outside anymore, even in the country without somebody being like, hey, you pissing outside? <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Guys, people have fucking trail cameras. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you can't get away with shit. Well, when we grew up, it, it was still kind of like what you're talking about. Like, there no cell phones. E even the internet. We were probably one of the last places to get the internet whenever it started coming up and out, but... I had dial up till I was fucking 19. We had, uh, <laughs> we had an honest upbringing, as honest as it could be. You know, we did a lot of crazy stuff too when we were younger. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've, I've done some things I regret. <laughs> well, you got, you're talking about the internet, right? So there's a chapter in my book called Sex Lies and Videotape. So, you know, growing up, you didn't have the internet. So for us, there was this magazine. It's still around, I think, but it, it was actually a newspaper. And it was fucking big. It was like the New York Times. It was called Screw Magazine. Nice. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it. Well, it used to come out like once a month or every two weeks. A young boy should not have had their hands on it. It was fucking graphic. Like there was just people giving <laughs> blowjobs and there was stories like a day at a dildo factory. And all <laughs> sorts of crazy shit in it. But, and it was like this fucking thick, right? But, uh, but what we wanted it for on the back pages of screw was like the classifieds and it was all these brothels and whorehouses. And, you know, kids don't know. It's got pictures of these hot chicks on there with phone numbers, you know, like where you would go to get laid. And uh, we didn't know that the girls that they're showing on there, that's not who's going to meet you in the brothel. You know what I mean? It's like some Photoshop thing. And it'd be like, the ads would say like, Charlie's angels can be your angels. 
three hours, uh, one hour with three blondes, 99, 95. So we're like, all I got to do is save up a hundred bucks, get a fake ID and meet a reputable pimp. And I'm getting laid. Right. So we would fucking call these numbers. And like one guy would be on, on one end of the phone. Another guy would be on another extension. And this kid, I'll never forget. He called the Charlie's angels number. We're all listening. And he's trying to make his voice sound deeper. And he calls this brothel up and he goes, yeah, how, how much for all three angels and the madam or the, or the, or the female pimp goes, why don't you go fuck your mother and your two sisters and hung up the phone on it. So it was like, we would just call these numbers all the time. We were relentless. So word got around the neighborhood that I was getting these magazines and the way I got these magazines, I didn't want to buy the magazine in my neighborhood because I, you know, that was like handling uranium with oven mitts. I didn't want like an adult seeing me walking around with a newspaper, this big that said screw on it. <laughs> so the next neighborhood, there was this train station in a busy area. So every week I would take my moped up there and get a couple of magazines. Well, word got around, you know, horny teenage boys before you knew it, I was taking orders. So every week I would drive up there and I would buy like a fucking stack of 30. <laughs> I would tie it to the back of my moped, right? And then I would drive home with it. And like the front of my house, you must have like 20 teenage boys. They look like fucking crows sitting on my fence, all hanging around. Like my mother started getting suspicious because she's like, why is Joe, you know, why is Joe O'Brien hanging out? I didn't get along. I thought you didn't get along at him. It's like, what was I supposed to tell her? His money's as good as everybody else. <laughs> so I was getting like, I think I was paying like $2 a magazine and I was getting $5. So I was making money on it. Well, what happened is one day, one, one time I'm going down the main drag of my neighborhood and the tie down on the magazines came loose. And I fucking decorated the entire neighborhood with fucking porn. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I stopped the motorcycle and I'm, I'm fucking picking up, grabbing, you know, tits and fucking just grabbing all these dirty new magazine trying to scoop it up. I lost the entire fucking load. So that's a story from my book. It's, it's just crazy times that went on in my neighborhood. Well, so here in Cincinnati, um, well, I still live in Kentucky, but I'm within spitting distance of Cincinnati. Um, it, the Catholic presence is huge because um, there's a, a large, you know, German population that moved here. And so there's Catholic churches, Catholic schools everywhere. Um, I've heard some some pretty interesting stories out of those schools, and I'm just wondering, like, how were the? Um, I'm assuming there were nuns. Well, that was more in grammar school. I didn't go to Catholic grammar school. The, the school I went to had Christian brothers. Got you. That, that ran it. I'm excited to read this book. I haven't had a chance. I just got it. Um, the big corporation that delivers fucked totally out of his copy. I had to cancel it. I'm going to have to reorder it. So what's some more, like, what's another good story out of this that people should hear about so that they'll go purchase it just to read the rest of it? Well, I used to work at this family-run gas station, right? And it, it was a big gas station. It was like two city blocks long. And, and the office had a big fishbowl so you could look out into the, the gas pumps. Well, there was this middle-aged guy, like I was 16, 17 years old. There was this middle-aged guy. He always wore like a white dress shirt and slacks. But if you looked a little closer, he was like grimy. He used to, he could smoke a cigarette in like three puffs. His name was Henry T. Schwartz. <laughs> well, Henry was a fucking lunatic. <laughs> he was like entertain. He was like the mascot of the, uh, of the gas station. He would come in. And he, he would tell these, he was like a schizophrenic. 
But we didn't know. We were like teenagers. Like, we just thought he was fucking funny. And he would tell these crazy stories about how him, Paul Newman, and Mario Andretti were driving around the Poconos in his 1975 Dodge Valare. And, like, we couldn't get enough of this guy. Like, he goes, I was in the Poconos with Mario. Like, Mario who, Hank? And Dreddy. So we used to think he was the funniest thing in the world. And he would like come by our, he would come by to use the payphone, or he would, he'd come out of the, our, our bathroom shaving. You know what I mean? Like he, he was like, he hung around like a mascot. But the, the thing that made Hank funny was he was like in his mid forties. He still lived at home with his elderly mother. And he would argue with this woman in our office in front of customers and workers about everything from his SSI check to um, um, sexual dysfunction. So he'd be on the phone with her and he would go, Ma, I can't get a hot on when I'm taking my medication. <laughs> Listen, Ma, the girl's not going to play with it forever. I got to get <laughs> off these meds, right? So finally, our owner goes, I can't, this fucking guy, he's yelling this in front of female customers and shit, right? So they banned him from the gas station and he got really pissed. And he took off. And for like a week, we didn't see Hank. So I'll never forget this. It was payday. So every payday was on a Thursday, about three o'clock. The checks would come out. This is before direct deposit, of course. So there'd be a line of guys waiting to get into the accountant's office in the front office. So we're sitting around the office about, you know, a bunch of teenage boys and mechanics just waiting around for a check. And I look across the gas station and I see fucking Hank. And he's wandering around the gas station. So I'm laughing. I'm like, look at this motherfucker. Like I hit one of my friends. I go, look who's fucking back, right? So I don't really pay attention to him. About five minutes later, I turn around. I look out to the gas station. This time Hank's on his hands and knees. And I'm like, what is he fucking praying? Then it hits me. Hank was on his hands and knees above the ports to where the tanker trucks pump the gasoline into the sidewalk. Hank had gotten the port open took off the metal cover and he had a book of matches and he's fucking flicking matches down the fucking floor to the gas. So I go, holy shit, fucking Hank's trying to blow up the gas station. In that instant, 30 teenage boys and men charged that fucking door at once. Guys were getting knocked out, like hitting that door jam at once. Guys were getting bam, like just fucking laid out. Some guys made a right and took off and ran for their lives. A bunch of us charged Hank. So about 10 of us are charging him like, Hank, stop, stop. Hank picks up his fucking head and starts going faster, right? <laughs> Someone comes running over and kicks him right in his fucking head. We, it looked like a scene out of Goodfellas. We're beating the fuck out of him across the gas station, like whooping his ass, right? The owner, the owner grabs him, smacks him around. We, we, I, I think we tied him up with something. Someone got a belt on him. We tied the fucking crazy fucker up, right? We drag him into the office. The cops come and he's like, you don't understand. I can't get a hot on and now you're not fucking hang out in the gas station, right? So they fucking take Hank away. So figure that's the last we're going to see a fucking Hank, right? Nope. About six months later, I'll never forget. It's a fucking Saturday. It's raining all day, but you still got to pump gas. So I'm wearing like a slicker and I'm soaked. I'm going out. There was a Saturday in the summertime. I'll never forget. And the rain had just stopped. 
And here comes fucking Hanks' 1975 fucking white Valare coming into the gas station at like 100 miles an hour. He slams on the brakes. He jumps out of the car. I'm like, now what's this fucking guy going to do next, right? He's like, they're after me. They're after me. I'm like, oh, he's fucking delusional. Here comes a fucking uh, Oldsmobile 88, comes into the gas station, like slams on the brake. And I see like this young kid in the front seat, like the passenger seat. I'm like, what the fuck? This guy gets out and he goes, Hank's like, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And the guy goes, I'm going to fucking kill you. Hank tried to snatch the guy's kid wow. in front of the house. Yeah. And the fucking, the father started beating the fuck at him. Cops come again. Cops throw Hank in handcuffs. And that was the last we ever saw a Hank again. <laughs> On what happened. So that's why in the book I, I wrote, learn why a guy with erectile dysfunction almost blew up a gas station. <laughs> I mean, there's more to it, but I mean, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's definitely a, a tagline. <laughs> Yeah, he was batshit crazy, man. I mean, I would probably stop taking my meds if I couldn't get a boner too. Jesus, if someone were to do that today, they'd be locked up and th- like without a key. Like well, it- he was out like six months later. Like, yeah, that'd be like terrorism now. Is what they would listen. Yeah. To. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> he was he was fucking funny though. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> I can't imagine. I I know I haven't been on the other. Uh, episodes but um, i'm sure that you have more stories than you'll ever be able to write down being the uh detective i'm i'm good now i I worry about that it's funny you should say that because like this book went in another direction like my other books are about the crazy shit that happened during the course of my nypd career and they are funny but i wanted to take a break from it and my younger brother was like you got to write a book about our childhood you got to write because there's so many because people aren't going to believe the shit that we got ourselves into as, as teenagers and i went all right. And this book is a gamble for me because my NYPD books are always going to sell. People yeah. see NYPD. I've got, you know, it's comedy and it's true crime. You know what I mean? And now with On Patrol Live is back on and back when Live PD was on. So I can move my book going back. You know, this is like uncharted territory for me. Like, you know, I don't know if this is going to sell. I mean, I think it's equally as funny, but you got to get Pete. You got to get you got to get in front of people. Man, if I ever win them like mega millions or something we need to make a tv show about this shit <laughs> oh dude you could be my fucking producer you could be sitting there and director chairs we'd have to figure out who's gonna play me i think totally should play you <laughs> <laughs> totally sitting right there oh, oh, oh i'm sorry my fucking hearing is shot dude I, I i can't even imagine uh, like all the all the stories I, but you know what i think it's a very unique and kind of niche pocket that you're hitting because a lot of people don't find humor in uh all of that stuff like it's it's usually serious like serious undertones and, and you got the, the dun dun today yeah. with the nypd oh <laughs> no this, this, this crazy shit i don't know if i told this story before so, so the opening to my book the nypd's flying circus cops crime and chaos my, um, it's early in my career. My partner and I get called out to this short stay motel off of Broadway. It's like a place where people go to get laid or, you know, drug addicts go in there and rent the room for an hour or whatever. Yes. It's like a Friday or Saturday night. It comes over as like a disturbance. So we go up to the door and I'm just about to knock on the door and I hear this woman's voice yell, be a man and put it in my ass. So we start <laughs> fucking laughing, right? Like I dropped to my knees. It's fucking funny. So we were going to walk away, but then I'm thinking, what if we leave and there's like a guy in a gimp box from like Pulp Fiction fucking tied up in there, right? And I'm like, I'd never be able to live with myself. 
So I bang on the door and I hear a woman's voice go, I told you you're making too much fucking noise. So I'm like, come on, open up. Door opens about halfway. There's a 70-something-year-old man, no shirt on. He's wearing boxer shorts. His testicles are hanging past his fucking his <laughs> boxer shorts. He's like, yes. I go, listen, Pop. I says, I hate to bother you. I says, but I got to take a look in there and make sure everything's all right. He goes, okay. So he opens the door. Granny's laying in bed. She's got the fucking comforter up to her fucking eyeballs, right? <laughs> tiny, tiny room. I just look in the bathroom to make sure no one's in there fucking with them. I go, all right, carry on. And as we're leaving, my partner, who's a smart ass, who couldn't fucking help himself, goes, did he put it in your ass? And she turns <laughs> around and goes, wouldn't you like to know? So, yeah, there was a lot of wild shit that happened during my NYPD career. I bet the stench in there was awful. <laughs> you know what? It's 30. This is over 30 years ago. I don't remember. But yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, the place, the fucking carpet hasn't been shampooed in 25 years. There's fucking probably enough pubic hair in there. You could clone somebody. You know what I mean. Well, whenever you got the chance, email me the address if it's still there. <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> I'm, I plan on making a trip to New England this week. You're ignorant. <laughs> you, 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 you look at crabs if you walked in there with full, fully clothed. <laughs> just fucking jump on you. Could you imagine me taking the wife to a place like that? <laughs> I'm sure she would love it. Well, if you wanted to end your marriage, that would be the place to go. Like... <laughs> Either that or she'd have you fucking, you know, put away. <laughs> <laughs> I think she thinks about it quite often, honestly. But, man, I mean, you've told some pretty awesome stories. I, totally, I wish he had been here for a few of them. There was one that was real graphic, and it was uh, about the time that you went to the – there was a call about somebody, and somebody died in it. They got their head fucking almost – Yeah, killed. yeah. Um, you want me to tell that story again? Sure. Totally's never heard of it. Early 90s, early 90s. It was a weeknight. It was raining out. It was like early October. Slow night. Slow night, probably about eight, nine o'clock at night. Comes over as a dispute uh, at, a, at a building, right? So one car picks up the job. We call it a job. They're heading over. Then the dispatcher goes, I'm getting multiple calls on this. So now you know it's something real, right? So another car says, I'm going to back them. And we were at the other end of the precinct. I'm like, fuck it. Like, I've been driving around in circles all night because of the rain. Let's go. So now we're on our way. So the, the, the responding cops that pull up, when they get out of the car, they hear screaming out of a window. It wasn't six-story buildings. They were like three stories. And uh, he hears screams. And now it's kind of, it's still raining out. But for whatever reason, these two cops, instead of going around to the side of the building and going up the stairs... They go up the fire escape to see what's coming, you know, why they're screaming out the window. So they go up to the window. And when they look in the window, the woman is laying on the ground. There's a guy above her with a carving knife and he's basically decapitating her. So the cop gets on the radio. He freaks out. And he's like, Central, he's got a large knife. He's, he, he's cutting her fucking head off. So now everybody now, I mean, we're going 100 miles an hour to get there, right? We pull up to the front of the building. We have boom, boom, boom. We have shitload of shots go off so we're putting it over there shots fired shots fired as we're running as we're going up the stairs this kid is this young boy is running down the stairs and he goes he's killing my mother he's killing my mother right so we're outside the door we're, we're trying to kick in the door we're, we're kicking in the door and then we hear the two cops that we work with going don't shoot don't shoot we're in the apartment don't fucking shoot so like, all right open the fucking door they open the door and when we walked in so you got to remember it, 
12 shots or 10 shots went off. So it looked like someone lit a pack of firecrackers. You got all the gunpowder, right? We walk in, there is everything in that apartment is destroyed. This fucking guy had lost his mind and he, it was like he knew he was going to hell and he didn't give a fuck with a hammer. There wasn't one thing that wasn't broken. The walls, the kitchen was destroyed with a hammer, right? As I start walking into the living room, my feet start sopping. There was so much blood in that apartment that it was like an inch thick of blood. Like it was just, your feet was sticking to the floor walking through there. She's laid out. She's got a hole in her head from, he fucking put a hole in her head with a hammer. And this is gone. Like literally the only thing holding her head to her body was, was her spine. And he fucking, he was living with her. I think she wanted him out and he went fucking nuts. So anyway, while he is decapitating her, the cops are banging on the window, telling him, hey, knock that shit off. He turns around and goes, you want some of this? He's got the carving knife, walks up to the window, throws open the window, and he starts lunging at the window with two friends of mine. They, back then we had the 38, so you only got six <clears throat> shots, but I mean, it was up close and personal. They unload on him. He goes stumbling back into the kitchen, and when he falls backwards, and my friend told me, he goes, yeah, I saw a woman get decapitated. Yeah, he tried to stab me with a knife. He goes, but after I shot this fucking guy, when he fell backward and he hit the floor, the knife bounced out of his hand and sailed into the back of the kitchen. And, and, you know, he's in shock. And he goes, all I could think of at the time was they're going to think that I shot an unarmed man. I'm like, dude, you are good. Because he told me in the hospital that I go, dude, you are good. I go, if anybody ever needed to be fucking taken out, it's this motherfucker. And um, wound, so here's another wild part of that story. So we're in the hospital with the cops. They're getting checked out, you know, make sure they're okay, right? He, he was wearing, like, cops wear baggy pants. The knife, actually, he, he found out at the hospital, the knife went through the baggy part of his pants and almost hit his femoral artery. Like, it didn't hit skin. It sliced the bag. That's how close this fucking guy got to him with the knife. It sliced his pants. So... That cop was a really good cop, but it really affected him. Like he, he did his 20 year career. I don't want to get too personal and tell stories about him, but it affected him deeply. Yeah. How did, how did you keep from getting like seriously fucked up from all that shit? You know, it's like, you seem like somebody that's got an awesome personality and shit. And you seem, you seem like you got everything together. Yeah. I'd like to think so. Um, I, I, I guess cops, after a while, I mean, I had a wild childhood and my parents didn't really shield me from much. Yeah. Like I, I had good parents. It's not like, you know, they were knocking the crap out of each other in the house and nothing like that. But like my parents treated my brother and I as adults, really like, it, you know, it wasn't goo goo gaga. Once we could talk, it, they talked to us like adults. And, you know, I, you know, it's not, I could see R rated movies at a young age. You know what I mean? So it was like, by the time I was a cop, I mean, I was kind of ready for it. And then like, I had seen enough stuff by the time nine 11 rolled around, you learn to compartmentalize things. You realize, okay, whatever's happening in front of me, this is bad, but I got to get through this mentally and I can't go to pieces because going to pieces isn't part of the equation. I I've got to get through this. So, you know, it's like, 
you learn to compartmentalize thing and not let it get to you too much. It's like a circuit breaker. You know, I'm not going to sit there. Yes, it was terrible. I know it's terrible, but I can't sit there and let it affect or ruin my life. Yeah. That's a, that's a really awesome way to continue through life. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it's so crazy to hear that you went through that. And then like, there's people out here getting PTSD from hearing a gunshot 20 miles away. <laughs> like, and like, I don't know. The generation well, a lot of that is a lot of that is how the culture has changed. Absolutely, yeah, it's weird how like you can go from I'm I won't say pretty much a badass like that and handle things like that to where now like words will put you into a mental hospital. Like it's strange to me. Do you know how many people? I mean, told me to go fuck myself or said the word i hope you die i mean i mean just god-awful things and it's like you know this this isn't one of my friends this isn't my family this is just some fucking jerk off from the fucking street you know it's back then you could tell me go fuck yourself now you'll be on youtube but you know and like you said call, the world has changed so as far as the the new we'll get back on track with the new book what made you title it the way that you did i don't you know it's funny the last thing with all my books is the title and it, that frustrates the shit out of me because I keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. I'm just writing content, writing content. The two things that always throw me off with writing a book is the title and the back page of the book, what it's about. I don't know why, but I struggle with that. And I said, I've got to have something that's catchy. I got to have some because I wanted to put Catholic high school diaries. And I said, for the longest time, that was the title. I'm like, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And then I'm like, well, and then I started one day writing words with Catholicism and trying to make it funny. And the opening story is I did get chased out of a confession booth. So I said, huh. All right. You know what? I got the I, I, I had the book cover what I wanted on there of a priest chasing a kid out of a confession booth because that really happened. And I'm like, OK, I got to get the title to match that. And I just kept playing around with the words until I finally figured it out. Do you care to tell us why? <laughs> you got chased out of the fucking. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we weren't holy rollers, but my parents wanted me to have a Catholic upbringing to a certain point. And then, if I didn't want to go to church, that was fine, but they wanted me at least to have a base. So, I'm in public school, about 13 years old. Next year, I'm going to cat. Uh, next year, I'm going to high school. My father told me, he goes, pick a Catholic high school. And I go, why? We don't go to church. He goes, because you're a clown. And if you go to public school, you're going to be a bigger fucking clown. He goes, so go pick a school that's run by the men in black. In Catholicism, you get baptized, then you make a communion, then you make a confirmation. But before you make a confirmation, you got to go and confess your sins. So, I mean, I'm 13 years old, really. How much can I confess? So the day I was supposed to make my confession, I'll never forget it was a Thursday night. I was playing stickball with my friends. And then I was like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to be at the church at seven o'clock. So I run home. My poor father's breaking his ass all day. He's on the couch. I'm like, dad, dad, I got to make my confession tonight. So he's mad. He's got to get up off the couch. We drive to the church. My father's sitting in the car. The priest is locking up the church. It's over. So the priest is a little angry Irishman. And he's like, why are you late? And blah, 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 blah. And I went, my dad got a flat tire. So now I'm lying even before I make my confession, right? So he lets me and my kid brother into the church. We get into the confession booth. Well, I get into the confession booth. My brother's outside, sign of the cross. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been six years since my last confession. He goes, 
six years. What's the point? You know, he wants to go home and eat dinner. So now he's going to bust my balls. And each sin I said, I mean, how much could I confess at 13 years old? Every sin he just laid into me, just laid into me, right? So finally, after like the third sin of him jumping down my throat, I go, look, Father, I don't want to be here. You don't want, I'm talking to him through a screen in this booth. I go, look, Father, you don't want me here. I don't want to be here. Can, can we just let me go and call it a day? Well, he loses his fucking mind. He starts <laughs> screaming at me, get out of this booth. Get out of this church. You're not making your confirmation on Saturday, right? So I'm like, fuck this. I'm trying to get out of the booth. My younger brother who thinks this is funny has got his weight up against the booth. He's not letting me out. And I'm yelling at my brother, get the fuck off the door. I got to get out of here. He's lost his mind, right? I hit the door. I knock my brother on his ass. The church is empty. We're, we're hauling ass through this church. Now, what I remembered was when the priest let us into the church, he had to open the church back up. I saw where he flicked the lights on. I had to put some distance between me and the priest because if the priest made it outside of my father, my father's going to hang me on a cross. So I ran over to the lights and I started shutting the lights off to the church and I can hear the priest coming up the stairs. He goes, don't shut off those fucking lights. And I'm like, that's supposed to curse, right? So me and my brother run outside. We get into the car and now my father wants to talk. Oh, so how did it go? Was the priest upset? I'm like, no, no, he, he, he's fine. And I'm just looking at that church, waiting for this guy to come out, right? So we drive off. No one calls the house that day. No one calls the house the next day. And kids got the memory of a fly. Like, we don't go to church. This guy's not going to remember me. Saturday rolls around. I'm going to make my confirmation. I go to the kids' grammar school. I'm waiting, you know, to go with my class into the church. The priest walks into the room and I go, oh, shit. So like I go down in the chair. It's like a police lineup. The little <laughs> priest, he goes, I'd like to have a word with that young man. <laughs> it's like, oh, shit. Takes me out, drags me out of the room like a disobedient dog. Throws me into another classroom, right? Slams the door for a little privacy. And he's just fucking tuning me up. He was a short little old man, but still. You know, I'm not going to raise my hands to him. I'm 13 years old. And he's just bit slapping. You think it's funny leaving <laughs> me in the church? And as he's throttling me up against the blackboard over his head, I remember this like it was yesterday because I'm in a, I'm in an elementary school classroom. I see the alphabet on the border above. And as he's whooping my ass, I'm like, A, B, C, <laughs> C, right? Like just trying to get through this. Throws me out of the room, goes, get out of here. So I'm like... Is he going to tell my parents? <laughs> but then I figured it out. I go, no, this was fucking personal. He wanted the satisfaction of whooping my ass instead of telling my father. With truth be told, my father would have done a far better job. Right? <laughs> so I go and I make my confirmation. No one says anything, right? I'm outside the church with my family. Getting, you know, my parents are taking pictures. Who comes walking by but father bitch slap? And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, it, I'm done. I'm done. He walks over to my parents and goes, what a fine young man. And gives me a, a fucking like pinch on the cheek. And I'm like, now he's rubbing my nose in shit. You know what I mean? Like, what am I going to say? He just kicked my ass. Cause then my father's going to go, why? It just would have opened up another can of worms. So I learned very early in life. Everybody takes a beating sometimes and just keep your mouth shut. That's true. Yeah, man. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh. 
I don't know how you restrain from popping him in the face. I would have had to. <laughs> Even at 13. That's got to be 40. Holy shit. That's got to be like 42 years ago. I mean, just the way I was raised, you know, you, you don't talk back to an adult. And I mean, we did, but I was just so afraid of him. You know, it was like, the, I'll tell you a funny, but there's a, that this isn't in the book, but I'll give you a bonus. <laughs> Couple, oh God. So 20, he was, I thought he was old, but he was probably in his fifties. You know what I mean? How kids think everybody is old. Yeah. So 20 something years later, my aunt's husband dies and we go to, they have a, a mass form and it's him. <laughs> now he's real old. Like now he's like fucking 80 years old and he's doing the mass. And my father, so afterwards, my father's like, I can't believe that old priest was doing that mass. That's great. I think it's great that someone in their 80s is still functioning. I'm like, fuck him. And my <laughs> father was like, what? Why would you say that? And I told him the story. My father goes, him? He kicked your ass? I go, what, are you going to go tell him? Like, at the time, I was like 29 years old. I mean, it's a done deal. You, you know what I mean? But it was just funny that I ran into this guy like, I don't know, 20 years later. <laughs> That's awesome. Vic, it's been awesome as always. Uh, yeah. If you haven't purchased any of the books you need to, I've got the full collection in there myself. Um, again, you can purchase them on Amazon by searching Vic Ferrari. Um, and they're all awesome. And it's always great. I can't wait till the next book so you come back on. Um, you might want to jump on sometime and talk some conspiracies with us. Anytime, anytime <laughs> you guys want me to come on, give me the heads up. I'll come on. Go check out Vic's stuff um, and get his books. Uh, and thank you for watching us because we're watching you. Mm -hmm.